Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor, and I want to invite you to look in your bulletin. There are verses there. There's a place to take notes. Um, we're going to talk about a lot today. I think there might be things that you want to write down, remember, think about this week, and, and put into practice. We're in a series called God is God, and everything else is an illustration. The series is designed because it sometimes is difficult to feel like you have a relationship with God. Um, very often, God doesn't feel close, right? And the reason is because God is God. He, he's different from us. Everything that the Bible says about God, that he is our rock, that he is our father, that he is our friend, these are illustrations. Um, and so this series is designed to try to help us. We're looking at the stories in Genesis to see how God is introduced to us in the Bible, the kind of God that he is, so that we can understand how to have a relationship with someone who is God. And so last week we saw that God is a creator who has given the world to us as a gift. Right? I don't know if you were here, you remember the images that we looked at um, in everything that is good and that is beautiful. God says, this is yours. This also is yours. This is yours. And then he made us in his image, which is family language, meaning he's our father and we're his children. And, and with the world, God says, this is yours. But then when he makes us in his image, God says, I am yours. And so we're seeing that even though we're separate, God is reaching across the separation uh, of, of the world between heaven and earth so that we can know him. And today we're going to look deeper into what it means that we are made in God's image. Uh, right after we are made in God's image in the Bible, it's God says something to us that helps us to understand how to have a relationship with him as God. And so we're going to look at this together. Um, again, the text is in your bulletin. Um, we're going to start at the end of the chapter today by reading verses 26 through 28. You'll see that's the bottom paragraph there in your bulletin. And so let's read this. This is from the first chapter of the Bible. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said something to them, right? This is what God said to them. He said, this is our focus today. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so there are five commands given to God's image bearers in verse 28. Five commands. We see, it says, and God, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, one, be fruitful, two, and multiply, three, and fill the earth, four, and subdue it, five, and have dominion over the creatures of sea, heavens, and earth. Right? We see this in the text. Now, when you begin to study these commands, when you begin to look and think about what they mean, some of the commands are actually saying the same thing. Some of them are just giving um, different views of the same reality. And so these five commands can actually be grouped into two more general commands. 
Okay, and so these more general commands form our mission as God, as God's image bearers. Okay, we have a mission, and our mission comes from where we came from and why we were created. God makes it clear to us, and these commands show us what our mission is as people who bear God's image. So our mission as God's image bearers are, one, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So those three go together. And then two, we're to subdue it and have dominion over creatures. So these are the two commands, the two groups of commands that establish our mission as God's image bearers. Okay, and we're just going to look at the first one today. I wanted to look at both of these today, but the first one sort of exploded in my face, got all over, my, all over the pages of my computer, and so we're just going to be able to look at one, uh, the first one today. We'll look at the next one next week. And so um, last week, this last week, I was talking to Ryan, my son. He's 14, he's in high school, and he got an assignment um, at school. He was given the text of Genesis 1. And he was told that he had to come up with five questions and then the answers to those five questions from Genesis 1 that he's supposed to present to his class. And I thought it was pretty cool. He telling me about this. And I'm like, hey, I've been studying Genesis 1. We have, we're doing the sermon series. And this is what we're doing. And, um, and so we were talking through it. And one of the questions that he came up with was particularly striking to me. He said it this way, and I didn't understand it at first, so when I say it to you, you might not understand it because I had to like dissect it. But he said this, he said, how does what we do affect our image of God? How does what we do affect our image of God? And when he said that, I'm, I kind of went in three or four different directions. I wasn't exactly sure what he was aiming at, but I kept asking him questions, trying to understand, wait, wait, what are you getting at here? What do you mean by, you know, I, I see what you mean by God's commands. He was talking about this verse, verse 28, with these five commands. And he said, how, how, like, how do they affect, like, our image of God? And so what I realized was that, like, this was the question that he was asking. He was saying, how do God's commands, these five commands, how do God's commands affect how we understand and relate to God? And I thought, wait, wait, that is such a good question. Because, and it made me realize that the commands that God gives us are directly connected to us being made in his image. Because you've heard that. I mean, even outside of the church, you know, there, there are people that talk about how humans are made in God's image. I mean, they get it from the Bible. But if you've been around our church for any length of time either, um, we talk about this. We talk about how we are made in the image of God. We're created to worship, serve, and enjoy him in all of life. And so the question is, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to be made in God's image? Um, and these commands actually give us a window into understanding that. What God tells us to do helps us understand who we are. And if who we are is in his image, then God's commands also teach us about who God is and what God is like. And so all of us have an understanding of who God is and what God is like in our minds. And that understanding of who God is and what God is like is based on lots of things. It's based on our experiences, based on if we've read the Bible before, it's based on if we've been in church, sometimes good experiences, sometimes bad experiences. 
Um, some things about God we love and are drawn toward, and then there's things about God that might push us away from him and make us afraid or make us think God is judgmental or intolerant. We have these images in our minds of who God is and what God is like. These five commands grouped under these two headings, right? These two main commands that set up our mission as human beings, these commands should be added to our understanding of who God is. Because again, these commands reveal even more about what God is like and what God does. And so, what I'm saying is that this is our mission. These two things make up the purpose of your life. And and I want to say this, is that to the degree that you are following your life path after these two groups of commands, to the degree that you're doing this, is the degree to which you will feel like your life is worth something. So it's really important for us to spend time understanding these commands. And so again, we're just going to look at the first of these two today. We're just going to look at be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so another way to think about this set of commands, these three commands, is this. And this is what what, what I want you to write down, because this is the point today. God is calling us, calling you, to multiply the best of who you are. That's what this command means. It means multiply the best of who you are. So before we unpack this directly and talk about how do we do this, I just want to emphasize the point that being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth is directly related to the image of God because this is exactly what God has just done in Genesis 1. Okay, so God doesn't tell us to do this because, boy, you know, the two of you are going to need some people to be around right? You're going to have to have babies. You have to, you know, like, that's not why. Like, God is telling him to do this because this is exactly what it's like to be an image bearer of God, okay? Genesis 1 has introduced us to a God who is fruitful and who multiplies. So let's just look at some of these verses. In verse 11, it's in your bulletin up on the screens. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. Now seed is introduced here, but seed is going to become a very important theme in chapter 3 of Genesis, and we'll get there eventually. Um, But seed, and each according to its kind, this means that God made living plants and trees so that the plants and the trees would multiply and give life to further plants and trees. Happens again in verse 21. It says, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And so again, according to their kinds, according to its kind, you got to see that God made the sea creatures and the birds so that the sea creatures and the birds would multiply and give life to further sea creatures and birds. Verse 25, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And so again, according to their kinds, according to its kind, you want to see that God made animals so that the animals would multiply and give life to further animals. 
What's the point here? Why am I belaboring this? Well, because Genesis is belaboring it. Genesis is hitting us. Before God says, be fruitful, multiply, we see a God who is being fruitful and who is multiplying. That God doesn't just create life. God creates multiplying life. Okay, God is the life giver who makes life givers. This is what God does. In creation, everything that was living was made to replicate. Everything was designed that was alive to make more of its kind. And so the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, it means that God made you not just to have life, but to produce life. God made you not to just be alive, but to give life to others. And so God makes all these things that multiply, and then God himself actually multiplies. Right? It's, it's not that he makes other gods, but he makes us. And again, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the image here, if you, if you want to on your own, you can look at Genesis chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3, where it talks about image and likeness as language of father and son. It's parent and child. And so we aren't gods, but we are the thing that is most like God in the world. And as with every other living thing, God wants you to multiply the best of who you are. Man, he wants you to multiply like him. And this is why verse 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so us multiplying the best of who we are is us acting in the image of God. And how do we do that? Right? How do we be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth? Well, really, it's in two ways. Okay, and these two ways are highly related, and it will apply to all of us. So if the first way that comes somehow triggers you, makes you feel disappointed or discouraged or excluded, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. This applies to all of us. The first way that we do this is that we have children. We have children. It's kind of a straightforward reading of the text, right? Um, it's be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? So we give birth to real life. The design of God, as we'll see in, I mean, we see it here in Genesis 1, but also in Genesis 2 and then beyond, is that God, God's design is that two people would commit to each other in marriage, and then their union multiplies the best of who they are. Okay, and this is true really with any child born. So even children that are born uh, to parents who aren't married, um, and so if you have a child and you're a single parent, um, every child is an opportunity for the parents to multiply the best of who they are. Right? That's the purpose. It's, it's God wants us to multiply the best of who we are. And then the question comes, well, what about those of us who don't have children, right? There's a lot of us who aren't married or, or are married and can't have children. Um, what about what about these folks? Are they unable to fulfill this mission of God to, uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to, to image God in these ways? No. No, they're not excluded. Um, because the design of this command, even the design to have children, the purpose of this command is to multiply the best of who you are. 
And you can do that not only by having children. You can do this very powerfully and very purposefully when you make disciples. When you make disciples. That's the second way that you can fulfill this part of your mission from God, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. You can have children, but you can also make disciples. Now, we use this phrase, make disciples, quite a bit in our church, and for some people, this idea of making disciples can feel intimidating. Because um, who am I, right? How can I make a disciple? How can I make someone else a follower of Jesus? Wait, are you telling me that I need to be responsible for someone else's spiritual life? Like, how do I parent spiritually? How exactly does that work? Well, look, I think if you think about making disciples in this way, it will help ease some of the intimidating elements of making disciples. Because what making disciples is, it's you multiplying the best of who you are into others. That's what discipleship is. And we all have different ways that we will do that. And so you don't have to be pushy. You don't have to like grab other people and say, I need you to do this so I can make you a disciple. Like that's not what discipleship is. Um, so you don't have to be pushy. You don't even have to be in charge to make disciples. You don't even have to have authority in someone else's, in, in a relationship with somebody else to, to, to make disciples. There's really only one thing that's required to make disciples. And that's this, that you need to pursue God in your life. That's it. That's the one requirement for you to participate in this command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's that you would pursue God. Is that you would have a relationship with him and that you would be growing in your relationship with him. Um, it's really that simple because when you do that, then your relationship with God that will influence you and the decisions that you make and the ways that you think and the ways that you act and the ways that you talk and the relationships that you have, your relationship with God will influence things that you do. There's gonna be things that you do because you love God. There's gonna be things you don't do because you love God. And when you, when you love God and are following him, then the influence of the relationship that you have with God, it will influence the other people that you're in relationship with. And in that, you are multiplying the best of who you are. And so before you catch a vision for handpicking three people in your life like Jesus did and investing your life in them so that they can grow to become some version of you that really looks like them but also has an influence of you, like before you become hyper-intentional in your disciple-making, which you are more than welcome to pursue, but before you do any of that, if you just pursue your relationship with God, if you just get to know him and orient your life around his authority and a relationship with his love, then you just have to live and be yourself with everyone else. By doing that, people will catch. You know, they say it's caught, not taught. So much of discipleship, it's really both. It's caught and taught. But the caught piece is kind of that genuineness thing. Like if there's a real relationship between you and God, that will be attractive to other people that are trying to follow Jesus. And it may even draw some folks who don't know Jesus to want to know him the way that you do. And so, um, so spend time with God. That's what it means to pursue him. Spend time with him, whether it's by learning 
Some of you are learners. In Presbyterian churches, we tend to attract learners. We do theology really, really well. We think we know everything. We don't, but we think we do. And so whether it's by learning, because you can get to know God really, really well by learning, or whether it's by talking to God and just spending time and letting what the Bible says influence this person that you're communicating with, um, whether it's by serving others, like some people find God and they pursue God by taking care of other people or by getting a job done or by, you know, um, by doing things and so by serving people. And so if you're doing that, again, in any way that you're doing that, there's something from God that you are experiencing and you can share that with other people. You can share that with other people. Now, again, so I've been here at this church for, I guess, coming on 12 years, and let me just say that my experience as the pastor of this church, for so many of us, it's really difficult still to make disciples. The idea of feeling like you have your mind wrapped around, oh yeah, I'm doing this, and this is how I'm doing this, Um, because for so many of us, you might not think this way, but I think a lot of us do, there's this feeling like, okay, so what exactly do I have to offer others? Like, why would anybody want me to disciple them, right? What do I have to give? Like, what is the best in me that needs to be multiplied, right? And so if you're feeling that way, or if you don't, I I just, I want to remind you, can I share with you what the Bible says about you? I I, want to just spend a little bit of time to help you see yourself the way that God sees you. Okay, because I think this might fan into flame and help you see some things that maybe you haven't seen before. Um, I want to start by just looking again at, at verse 26 of Genesis 1. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And the point that I just want you to see and to underscore here is that you are made in God's image. So from the moment that you were conceived, you were an image bearer of God. And this means that God has invested some of his character into you. There are aspects of who God is and what God is like that reside in you. And there's some, there's scholars debate over what it means when God says, let us make man in our image. Um, And so we, we can chase down the debates at another time, but it's possible. One interpretation of this is that this is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all having a conversation with each other. And they're all there and there are places in the Bible where it says that the Son was with the Father at creation There's places where it says the Spirit was with the Father at creation, so it's a biblically defensible interpretation. And the reason that I bring this up is that if this is God saying, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, then some of us might evidence God the Father more particularly, image God the Father more particularly. Some of us might image God the Son. So God the Father is like God over us. He's the loving authority. Right? Some of us might image God the Son, and, and that's God with us. 
right? That's God like coming to us and interacting with us. So someone who's more relational, like sort of face-to-face with us, caring about us. Like Jesus, you know, in so many times in the Gospels when he's interacting with people personally and caring for their needs, right? Some of us image more of that kind of dynamic. Um, And then still some of us might image more of God the Spirit, where we're behind the scenes, where we shine light on other people, where we are sort of an empowering presence and an encouraging encouraging and an uplifting kind of presence or influence. And I just, again, you want to ask yourself, how do I image God? I want to ask yourself that question. God, you've made me, and make it a prayer. God, you've made me in your image. Your word says that. What does that mean for me? How do I image you? What about me is like you, God? Um, And if you're not sure, if you're not sure, then what you want to do is you want to just focus more of your time on learning about God and what God is like. And then ask yourself, am I like that? Do I manifest that? I mean, these are just some of the simple ways that we can grow in our understanding of how we image God. And when we do that, then man, we want to multiply the best of who we are into others, both in parenting and in discipleship. But then, I mean, this is just one verse. Um, Then we can look at Psalm 8, verses 5 and 6. I mean, I love this verse because, again, it reflects sort of similar themes. Um, It's talking about creation. And he says in verse 5, he says, Yet you, this is you, God, you have made him, this is human beings, you have made human beings a little lower than the heavenly beings. Right, So we see the heavens above, we see the earth here, and there's this hierarchy, right? God's up in heaven, the angels are up there with him, and this verse is saying that human beings are just a little bit below the heavenly beings. We're just a little bit below the heavenly beings, and we are crowned with glory and honor. It says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet. And so Psalm 8 says that you... Yes, you, you are crowned with glory and honor. I mean, compared to God, we are insignificant, right? We're specks on a speck, hurtling through space in a bunch of other specks. And God's got it all like this, right? It's all in the palm of his hand. And yet, God doesn't think about you as insignificant at all. You are just a little bit lower than the heavenly beings. You are exalted above all the things on earth and you are crowned with glory and honor. And so you matter. You matter to God. What you think matters. What you do matters. And God wants you to multiply the best of who you are. The world needs you to multiply the best of who you are. When you're not in touch with how you image God, when you're not in touch with the glory and the honor that has been invested into you, the world isn't what it could be. As a child of God the King, you are royalty. Like this is the Bible's image. This is God's image of you just because you're a child of God. And so, question, how are you glorious? How are you honorable? And if you don't know, then seek God and understand what does it mean that God is glorious? What does it mean that God is honorable? Because many of the ways that God is glorious and honorable are imaged in people. And so, if chasing 
down the Bible and, and studying the scripture passages about these things, if that doesn't do it for you, then talk to someone else in your life group. Like join a life group and just have the discussion one evening. How is God glorious? In what ways does God manifest his glory? How is God honorable? And what are ways that we, if you know each other, like how do we evidence or manifest or image God in these ways? And then the last verse I want to share with you on this um, is the verse that Kim shared about the women's retreat. Psalm 139, verse 14. It says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So friends, man, if you are created a human being, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And fearfully just means with reverence. It means there's something about you that if, if you were fully manifesting God's image through you, if God's image was coming out of you to its fullness, then all of us would feel like, whoa, we're in a sacred place. And so you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Man, this is who we are. This is who you are. Man, who you are matters. Like God made you and he made you powerful so that you would multiply the best of who you are into others. And so, like, this is the Bible's glorious vision of God's image bearers. Um, and <laughs> I feel like we're on this sort of upward trajectory of just amazingness, that God would think about us this way because we tend to not think about ourselves like this, right? Especially if you're in church, there's a sense of your own sinfulness that you're aware of, and we try to remind you of it <laughs> as often as is healthy, right? <laughs> it's good for us to be aware of the fact that Man, as image bearers, we don't always bear God's image, right? Um, and we try to remind ourselves of this because we want to be honest about who we are. We want to be honest that though the Bible says these amazing and glorious and wonderful things about, who, about us as image bearers of God, this isn't always what comes out of us, right? Very often, we multiply the worst of who we are, don't we? Um, last night was the Generate Hope annual gala. Um, and Generate Hope is a ministry of our church. Actually, it's, we've, Generate Hope is a ministry to women who've been sex trafficked. It sets them free from the life and it gives them the education, the therapy, and the training to re-enter uh, society outside of a, a life of being sex trafficked. And um, in a lot of ways, Generate Hope is our church multiplying the best of who we are. It's one of the ways that we've done that as a church. Well, so I was there. I was talking with Todd and Kate Hunt afterwards, and we were talking about what we'd experienced. Um, they had a survivor who, who gave her testimony, and, and Susan spoke, and um, Summer Stefan was there, the city attorney. And, uh, and I mean, just it was a really rich night full of things that um, we're not just the glory of what God has done and generate hope, but we're putting a magnifying glass on some of the worst of humanity. Um, and Todd and Kate and I, we were talking about sex trafficking as one of the worst examples of us taking the power that God has invested in us as image bearers and radically abusing that power. 
that the manipulation and the coercion that happens with pimps as they enslave women into a life of sex trafficking that utterly destroys lives. I mean, this is people who have authority, who have powers of persuasion, and they use it for great evil. And we were talking about that and um, thinking about this extreme abuse of power that God has given his image bearers. And it, it made me think of some of the lesser ways that we fail to bear God's image. Because um, it can be dangerous to point out the extreme faults of others without being aware and without being honest about the failures that we have and the sins that we've committed. Um, and so really any and all efforts that we make to serve ourselves, like any and all efforts that we make to use the influence that we have to push people around, to manipulate people, to get our own needs met in ways that push other people's needs down. I mean, all of these are abuses of God's image in us. And so, like, God wants us to multiply the best of who we are, but oftentimes we end up multiplying and spreading the worst of who we are. I mean, anger, selfishness, jealousy, like just impatience with others, being judgmental of others. Um, these are ways that we have marred the image of God. I think about if God's image in us is like an oil painting, our sin sort of takes our hands and sort of like swipes it across the oil painting while it's still wet. And so you can still see the image, but it's horribly marred and disfigured. And that's often uh, the reality, if we're honest, about who we are and the lives that we lead. And I bring this up because it's real, because it's honest. But I also bring it up because where we fail to live out as God's image, God doesn't fail us. The relationship that God made with us at the beginning wasn't a one or you're done type of arrangement. That even after we failed, God doesn't fail us. Um, when what multiplies out of us is not his image, um, God came to find us. God came to rescue us from ourselves. And I want you to think about the cross in this, in this new way. That in the cross, on the cross, Jesus wasn't multiplying the best out of himself. But on the cross, Jesus was absorbing the worst of us into himself. That on the cross, Jesus was taking on our sin. And the cross is literally the fulcrum of history. It's the turning point of all of history because it's the unraveling of our sins and failures. That Jesus suffered for our sins at the hand of abusive power and selfishness. And in his resurrection, Jesus gives us forgiveness and a new gift. Jesus welcomes us back, fills us with into being made in the image of God. At the resurrection, Jesus now fills us with the Spirit of God. So 
Like you, when you believe in Jesus, not only are you made in God's image, but you are filled with his spirit. Not only are you made by God in a way to reveal his glory to the world, but you are like doubly invested with the personal presence of God who is with you in every moment, in every circumstance, in every situation so that you can engage the world, so that you can multiply out not just the best of who you are, but the best of who God is in you. And this is just the beginning of us taking on the mission that God has given us to live in his world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are we're moved we're moved and lifted up by how you made us and then even more so in how you redeemed us. So Jesus, thank you for not abandoning us when we abandoned you. Thank you for coming and for breathing even greater life, even newer life into us by your spirit. Help us to walk closely with you. Help us to pursue you so that as you work in us, we would have something good in us to multiply out to others. Jesus, help us to see your work in us, your work in creation and in redemption, so that we can multiply the most of who you are into the people that we know and love and care for. We pray this in your name. Amen.